Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Paul Lisnick Behind the Curtain, where today we do something a little bit different. You know, ordinarily on the podcast, I'm either talking about politics or uh, we're talking about theater and productions. But, you know, in watching our morning show, WGN Morning News one morning, um, there were two authors on of a, a new book called Chicago's Motor Row, uh, part of an Images of America series. And I was so intrigued by what they had done that I reached out and said, hey, can you join me over here on the WGN Radio podcast? They said yes, and so we're going to get to talk about this fascinating time in Chicago history, which partially is still visible for you all to visit today. Joining me are the co-authors of the book Chicago's Motor Road, John Hogan and John Maxson. Let me start with you, John Maxson, and say what led you guys, I mean, this, is, this could have been a part of lost Chicago history, what led you guys to basically say, you know what? First of all, it's fascinating, and secondly, we need to memorialize this in a book. Well, first of all, I think I'd have to say something about uh, my co-author, John Hogan. Uh, He was the one who had the idea here. He was the one that sought out a truly unique area of Chicago. I mean, I know there are many neighborhoods, there are many aspects of neighborhoods that are different, but to have a landmarked and preserved area of the city that was the cluster of uh, dealerships back at the very dawn of the automobile age seemed to me a very, to be a very uh, uh, kind of a romantic and a historically uh, significant thing to write about. So I'm a car guy. I've been ever since high school. I've had classic cars. And uh, to, to have John come to me and say, uh, would you like to help me out on this book, uh, was a terrific uh, honor for me and a, a privilege. Well, that's a great setup then for me to ask that question of John Hogan. So, John, uh, talk about, are you the car guy? Are you the, uh, a Chicago history or maybe even an architecture guy who then saw I'm this not, part of Chicago? I'm, I'm not a car guy. That's Mr. Maxson's department, and that's why I asked him to come on board. I'm more of a Chicago history guy. I had written six previous books about Chicago history and was looking around for a new brainstorm uh, when I happened to be watching Jeffrey Bayer's documentary on the CTA. Uh, and uh, he, he mentioned uh, all of the stops along the CTA lines. And the one that he mentioned uh, out on the, the near south side, the one that services uh, Motor Row and mentioned Motor Row, and that uh, triggered a thought in the back of my mind. I was familiar with Motor Row. I had been down there taking pictures several years earlier as an amateur photographer, and I said, hey, let's revisit this. This might have potential for a book, and that's when the ball got rolling. And John Hogan, I'll stay with you on this. For people who are, who, you know, this is news to them that Chicago has a motor row. They'll understand it better by the time we're done, but where exactly is this motor row? We're going south on Michigan Avenue, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, there, there are uh, two parts to it, really, uh, as they exist today. One from about uh, 12th Street to 14th Street, and then it picks up again at Cermak Road and goes to the Stevenson Expressway around 24th Street, all along Michigan Avenue. Uh, there, there are some spillover sites uh, on Wabash and Indiana adjacent to Michigan Avenue, but the main activity was and is uh, along Michigan. 
And John Maxson, one of the things that's really uh, intriguing about this book, I'm sure you hear a lot about it, but the foreword to the book is written by Jay Leno. Now, most people know that Leno is into cars, and he, he has a show uh, on CNBC in which I think it's called Jay Leno's Garage, something like that, and he talks a lot about cars. But I have to tell you, when I read the foreword, I don't know, I just thought I was going to read something humorous, something funny, a little routine about cars. But John Maxson, did Jay Leno actually write that foreword because – it's a pretty brilliant and smart forward to the book. Well, I'll tell you, first of all, Jay is a real car guy. I mean, he's a card-carrying uh, <clears throat> collector, uh, historian, and restorer. Uh, and, of course, he owns um, 204 cars plus a huge motorcycle collection. Uh, when we first started talking about the book, uh, John and I decided who should write the, the forward, and we thought, well, why not do the Hail Mary and ask for probably the country's premier car collector in terms of awareness uh, because of his television exposure. Uh, I went to a friend of mine who is president of the uh, Antique Automobile Club of America, and he said, no way is Jay going to do this. I mean, Jay's a good friend of mine. I'm not going to reach out to him because I owe him so much from favors he's done to me, but I'll turn you on to another guy. And he turned me on to the person who was the former president of the uh, Peterson Museum, which is a big classic car museum in California. Uh, that person said, John, no way this is going to happen. And I said, well, would you please at least forward my email to Jay? Don't give me any contact information if you don't want to, but you forward it. And he said, well, I don't want to get your expectations up, but just no way this is going to happen. He forwarded my email, and about three days later, Jay Leno picks up the phone. He says, hey, John, Jay Leno here. How can I help you with the book? (laughs) And from then on, I was just... uh, uh, well, very surprised at his awareness of motor rows around the country. He was aware of the Chicago motor row. He was aware of uh, every or almost every car that was sold there. Remember, there are 116 different brands of cars that were sold uh, in the dealerships down there. Most of these cars, of course, are these brands are no longer with us. All went out of business mostly during the Depression, and uh, yet he was he was uh, intimately. Uh, aware of each one and, and new details of each car. So uh, he, he he really is a car guy. And by the way, when he's talking cars, he's all business. He can be a lot of fun on the sh- on the TV and in person at his live performances. But when it comes to cars, he's he's talking uh, the details of the car, and he's a very serious guy. And the forward is not a humorous piece, as you point out, Paul. It's it's uh, it's it's the way he writes. So, uh, John Hogan, let me let me come back to you. Um, one of the things Jay Leno did write in his forward, as I remember, at some point, it's sort of a, hey, sorry, Chicago. I know you like to be the first in everything. But and I think I'm getting this right. Didn't he say something like we were the third to have a motor row? And maybe you guys stepped in and said, well, maybe we were second. Give, give us the history here of where Chicago fits in in the development of a motor row, John Hogan. Well, it, it's uh, certainly the the biggest and the best. Uh, I don't know if it was the first. Uh, we think it is, but that's one of one of these uh, historical uh, um, evolutions that will be debated: who was first, who was not. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really irrelevant. But uh, everybody, I think, agrees that Chicago had the best motor row, and it was started by Henry Ford back in uh, 1903. He uh, located, we think, his first dealership outside of the Detroit area on, on South Michigan at uh, what is now the, or what was then and now, 
the uh, uh, north end of, of Motor Row, around 14th and Michigan. The building is still standing. It's an eye care facility right now, tip-top condition, uh, except that they sold cars out of there back in uh, 1903. And that's where Henry located, so he could be reasonably close to downtown Chicago and also close to the uh, very high-end residential market that represented Chicago back at that time. So once Henry Ford got his toe in the water, so to speak, uh, in that area, others followed. Uh, Buick moved in next door. Uh, Locomobile came along one after the other. And uh, eventually it was uh, a, uh, a groundswell of automobile sellers, dealers, flocking to that area to sell cars. It just took off. And John Hogan, I'll stay with you on this. First of all, the, the book Chicago's Motor Row, uh, the good news for people who don't like to read is that it's primarily a photography book. It's a, pictures of all of this. So how many of these photos, I mean, obviously some of these places are not around whatever. You've got some Library of Congress credits in here. But how many of those photos, maybe by percentage-wise, John Hogan, would you say, oh, no, this is what they look like today versus, no, that's gone, and we, we had to do a little history on that? Uh, the... the uh... Most of most of the photos in the book are uh, contemporary. I'd say percentage-wise, I I don't know, but uh, Motor Row as it existed back then pretty much exists now. The buildings have been through many many changes of of ownership and uh, types of business, and we mention that in the book what it is today, what it was then. But uh, yeah, these these are uh, for for the most part the actual buildings. Uh, that, that are still in mostly good shape after all these years. And, and John Maxson, one of the things, like I did see the picture in there of the, the place that's now an eye care facility, and then towards the end of the book, you have a picture of what is now a drag club. It's called Lips uh, <laughs> over in that area. And I kind of looked at that, gave that a double look. I'm like, wait, what? Um, and so one of the things that occurs to me is that, so obviously there's other businesses functioning in a lot of these older buildings, and maybe I've missed it, but maybe not. Uh, but, but since you both obviously now into Chicago history on, uh, on this topic, John Maxson has ever thought like maybe all these buildings like where Lips is, which used to be, I guess it was a car dealership, but shouldn't there be plaques up in all these places? I mean, there are some, but letting people know the history so that they don't get torn down in the future. Well, there are a few uh, plaques up and uh, yeah. uh, all of these buildings are landmarks, so they can't be torn down or at least the facades can't be changed. They can change the building behind the facade, but the, the uh, streetscape of Motor Row will always look like it does today because uh, the 56 landmark buildings there that uh, are protected. Let me just interrupt you there because that, that almost wasn't the case, right? Um, you write about uh, Alderman Burton Terrace, who's no longer with us, but I knew Bert. And, um, I mean, th this stuff could have been torn down. There were efforts to do it until you, you got in a terrace to realize how important it was. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, there was... Uh, very little economic activity there for a long time, and that's the reason why the buildings were preserved. There just wasn't another reason and the expense to tear them down and build something new. But then McCormick Place developed significantly, as you know, going back 20 years or so. Built the new hotel, they built the new McCormick Place. Uh, that expansion all came to the west, and suddenly uh, Motor Road became very hot property. So around 2000, the year 2000, people started looking at uh, landmarking it to save the historic nature of the street. Uh, and frankly, I think we owe it to uh, Richard Daly, the mayor, and uh, Burton and Terrace for having given the signal that they would approve of this if, if somebody went after landmark status, which, of course, a uh, number of constituencies did. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's preserved as it is today, although the use of the building can change. And it looks like there's a chance that 
uh, it could tur- turn into a restaurant, motor, uh, a most motor row entertainment area associated with McCormick Place uh, with mixed-in residential. There are a couple of new, very nice uh, condo buildings that have gone up. So the, the utilization will change, but the buildings will uh, look the same to perpetuity. John Hogan, you're our, you're our historian here, so let me come to you with this question, because if I have my dates right from reading the book, this whole area of Chicago Motor Row began, I think, is about 1906, something like that. What occurred to me, I'm thinking, gee, that's not far after the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. I'm sort of curious, is any of the development of Motor Row, would you tie it to the, the reemergence of Chicago after the Chicago Fire, or is it really independent and has nothing to do with it? I, I really don't know. Yeah, I, I'd say it's pretty much independent. Uh, the, the Chicago Fire was... Uh, would have been over 30 years prior to that. And I think Chicago had passed many milestones before Motor Row came on the scene, uh, probably the most significant one being the uh, World's Columbian Exposition, the World's Fair in 1893. So Chicago had covered a lot of ground before then. So uh, I I think it was uh, the genesis, as I mentioned a moment ago, was uh, Henry Ford's brainstorm to locate his first, or certainly one of his first, dealerships outside of Detroit uh, in the in this particular area, and again because a it was close to downtown, and b it was close to where a lot of uh, very wealthy people who would be in a position to buy cars uh, were living. And John Maxson, as you learn, and you're a car guy, so as I as I read about the history of cars um, in the book, it was sort of fascinating because it was almost a lot of phrases you would hear tied to maybe apartment buildings or something. The notion of the mother-in-law seat, or the, I mean, it, it doesn't. I mean, cars back then had a very di- different purpose. I mean, you talked about one car that was maybe you know six hundred and fifty dollars to buy, which of course was a lot of money back then anyway. But but what would you say the purpose of a car was back then? But the purpose of, of cars has changed over these over these decades and and century yeah paul thanks for bringing that up and that was a point that jay leno made when i first characterized the book to jay he said you know it sounds like you've written a book about history and architecture he said i don't want to say that about i don't want to deal with that in the forward i want to point out the fact that the car was a brand new thing was it was a brand new mobility that a person would would achieve by uh, uh having one and now you don't have to date the girl down the block anymore. Now you don't have to go <laughs> shopping down the block anymore. Now now suddenly you have this freedom that uh, gives you the world, so to speak. And so the, uh, the purpose really of a car was uh, transportation, of course, but it was the romance of being able to jump in the car and drive to the other side of the city or drive out into the country or, or uh, do many, many more things and experience life in a much, general, much more general, broader sense. So there's no question about the uh, the days of uh, of motor row could be considered the golden age of the automobile, where there was this new awakening of the rest of the world out there. And people just didn't live in the same couple of blocks that they grew up in. Uh, very good point. I think one of the things that makes uh, motor row unique is the diversity of the cars you could buy there. You could buy a Model T Ford, you know, at the Ford dealership for two hundred and fifty dollars, or you could walk down the street. Uh, two blocks, and you could buy a Cadillac for, for probably $4,000. And, uh, you know, anybody and everybody could go there car shopping. And I think a lot of people just went there like after church on a Sunday to look in windows because the, uh, the everything was there, everything was available, and, and really the uh, the diversity is a huge, huge point for car guys. 
John Hogan, I was going to, you know, Max has got into this a little bit, but let me kind of follow up with you. I mean, was this an after church? When I think of the way car dealerships are today, I mean, you know, the whole notion we spent, you know, forever as we bargained for cars and the games we would play. And now it seems that dealerships say we don't bargain here. This is our price. What was life like back then? Was it something you got dressed up on a Sunday and you just kind of, first of all, but you did it on a Sunday. You can't even do that now. But, you know, and, and you just went looking or were, were, was it about serious car buying back then? Well, it was both. Uh, it, it depended. Uh, it was it was an outing for a lot of people, and the advertising folks, the uh, automobile advertisers, were really smart. Uh, they were selling, as we mentioned throughout the book, they were selling a dream. They, they weren't just selling wheels and uh, uh, you know tires and steering wheels and whatnot. They, they were selling a, uh, a a way of life. Uh, we, we refer to it throughout the book as the street of dreams. You know, hey, this is something that's going to give you a license to a brand new lifestyle, uh, a carefree life that will take you to places you've never been before uh, by just jumping in this vehicle right outside your house or in your garage. So it was uh, they were selling, as, as we say, the, the sizzle along with the steak. John Maxson, it also, I mean, back in those days, of course, men ran the household, women, you know, I, I guess were sort of treated not as equals, let's just put it that way. Uh, in fact, at one point, there's a, there's a story in the book about the fact that sometimes those, uh, the hood ornaments, right, it might be of a woman who's sort of, you know, half-dressed half or something. Anyway, it was a guy's way of being able to, you know, have these half-naked women on their, on their cars and get away with it. Um, but, but nevertheless, the point is made in the book that actually car dealerships, manufacturers, they did want to reach women. They wanted women to be driving cars even back in those days so maybe it was a it was a great step forward for the advancement of of uh, equal rights at that time john maxson yeah i, I think uh, you know i'd agree 100 percent. no question but what the uh car started out as a guy sort of thing and uh, of course the car could cost as much as a person might make in their whole year of working so it was an expensive thing but just because of the mechanism because of the uh let's call it the romance of mobility uh it started out as a guy thing but we actually have pictures of special women's days at uh, dealerships where they would specialize bringing in women. Now, remember, a lot of these cars had to be cranked to start, and I can't picture a woman doing that. But nonetheless, uh, they very very much focused on women uh, with uh, luxurious upholstery, uh, you know, beautiful wood-grained uh, metal, and then actual real wood uh, in the interior. And... Uh, so I would say probably with the dawn of the motor age coming about 1905 or 1906, by about the 30s, it was very much a woman's uh, uh, sector, let's say, where where uh, women were driving cars and they were they were being marketed too aggressively. And electric actually, cars uh, were on the scene back then too, and they were enormously popular with women. John mentions that uh, uh, that uh, women uh, didn't really care to be cranking cars to get them started. Well, you hear you've got an electric car that doesn't need to be cranked, and they carved out a very very nice market for a number of years uh, for that very reason. Nineteen oh six is sort of a magic year because there were an equal number of steam cars, electric cars, and gasoline cars on the road in 1906, and both the steam car and the electric car, all you had to do was turn a switch, and maybe you had to light a pilot light or something, but you, could, you did not have to crank the car. And then uh, along came Cadillac in 1912 and introduced the electric starter, and then, of course, it, it broke open to women like crazy. Yeah, and, and it, it's fascinating stuff. It reminding me, this may be an unfair question. I'll, I'll try John Hogan here 
No, well, let's try Don Hogan, and we'll, we'll see who can answer it. But back in these early days in the 1900s, 1920s, um, a sad story in my family is that in 1926, there was a woman who was learning to drive one of these new cars in Chicago. Um, she hit the gas instead of the brakes and sadly actually hit my grandmother, killed her, and injured my dad, who did survive, obviously. Uh, he was a little baby at the time. But it made me wonder, and maybe you guys will know the answer. I'll start with you, Hogan, which is, were there back then, did you need a driver's license? Did you pass a driver's test? What was this woman doing driving a car? She didn't know what she was doing. Uh, were there requirements? Do you know? I, you know, I really don't know the history of the driver's license. Maybe John Maxson does. Uh, I, just, uh, I just don't know. But I, I will tell, uh, tell you one thing that we have in common, Paul, and that is that my grandfather was crossing a street on the south side in 1936 and was struck and killed by a car. Driver never go, charged. So. I, I don't know the full circumstances. So, uh, but in, in terms of auto regulation, uh, licensing, and what uh, you've got me there, I'm sorry. No, that's fair enough, and I, it was an unfair question. I didn't plan to ask it. In fact, what's interesting is my grandfather kept newspaper articles. You know, back then, as you know, John, when, when something like that happened, this was big news. So there were there were maps and drawings and all this kind of stuff of what happened. So, John Maxson, we're putting the pressure on you. Both John Hogan yeah. and I have lost somebody because of a car, so give us the answer. What, what was required? No, I, 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 honest, I honestly don't know the answer for Illinois either. I can tell you that, uh, of course, uh, a driver's license is a state thing, and it came across the country uh, not in a uniform manner, so that uh, areas that were in rural areas, uh, kids were driving cars at 14, 15 years old, and in the more urban areas, driver's license were required. But my mother, who was born in 1914, she drove a car in a rural area, area of Ohio and uh, was never challenged or, or whatever, and I'm guessing she was 14 or 15 years old at the time. So, uh I'm not not sure about Illinois and when it when it came in, but uh, driving was it was not uncommon. Let's put it that way to have people yeah. driving all over without license. It's fascinating, and I and I realize it's off base. It just you triggered me as you said some of these stories. Sure. Um, before we wrap, John Hogan, let me just come to you. So for people who say I love this, I want to take the family down and see it. Do you have a recommended little tour of what people should do to appreciate Chicago's Motor Row? Where should we go? What will we should we go see it? There are organized tours uh, once a month during the summer month that are handled through Glessner House at 18th and Prairie. Wonderful institution. Uh, I, I would say get in touch with our good friend uh, Bill Tyre, T-Y-R-E, uh, who is the exec director at Glessner House, and uh, see what their lineup is for the coming season. And, John Maxson, after doing this and, and you know getting your passion of cars sort of to play out in this, is there a follow-up to this, or was this the effort? We've got that book that we can all uh, buy and read, um, or is there is there a follow-up, or what's your next project? Well, uh, John and I were just talking about this the other day. Uh, uh, there, there was a smaller version on the north side that uh, hasn't received nearly as much uh, publicity as the one on the south side, but uh, did exist, and uh, it might have some potential. It's fascinating stuff. I'm so glad I caught you on the morning show, which, of course, is such an important place to be, and uh, people are hopefully listening to us, and we'll check out uh, this more. It's part of the Images of America series. The book is Chicago's Motor Row by John F. Hogan, John S. Max, and with that forward that will surprise you by Jay Leno. I say surprise you because, man, that guy knows what he's talking about. You knew he did, and I knew he did, but I was surprised at how much knowledge he expressed in the couple of pages of his forward. The book can be purchased at ArcadiaPublishing.com, ArcadiaPublishing.com. I'll put that on the uh, website page. I assume also Amazon, guys. We can get it on Amazon? Yes, you can. Yes. All right. Yeah, and, and don't, don't forget your uh, local bookstore. 
That's right. And visit your local bookstores. I live there on abridged books in the city. I always try and, yeah, that's right. I try and give them as much business as I can. They need all the help we can. Guys, congratulations. Right around it's the corner from me. Oh, is that right? We'll have to meet, and, and uh, I'll buy one of your books, and you buy one of mine. They're both. They're all in that store it's right over deal. there. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you. Congratulations on this book. It really is fascinating. And for people like me who are really into history and the architecture and all of that, it's just, just so enjoyable. The book is Chicago's Motor Row by John Hogan, John Maxson. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Well, if you want to know more about what we've talked about here, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Paul Lisnick. That's P-A-U-L-L-I-S-N-E-K. And I'd love to hear your comments or topic suggestions for future podcasts. You can also go to my website, paullisnick.tv. And hey, don't forget to hit subscribe on WGN Plus and iTunes. And tune in each week to hear more Insider Scoop coming to you from Behind the Curtain.